You're listening to the Christian Music Blog Podcast, Session 16. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 16th edition of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. I uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I am really excited about this episode. In the feature segment of today's episode, I share with you a conversation that I had with Mark Altrogi. Mark is a songwriter, a pastor, um, a wonderful guy. He is a gospel man. He's a humble guy. And I'll tell you all about that in just a moment. But first, I want to just say thanks to all of those folks uh, who have been really patient with ChristianMusicBlog.com. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. The story of the launch day. I mean, what a, what a funny thing. So we had built up to the 15th of June to launch the new site. And um, little did I know that, that the Lord would just be testing me. So uh, I hope that I passed. Um, I, th- I, th- I feel like I did. I feel like I, I did. But, you know, I don't want to think too highly of myself. I know God has a lot to work out in me. You know, I'm so thankful for his grace. But um, anyway, so what happened was this. Friday night, I'm, I'm finishing up the last couple of things. We're, we're trying to make sure it's all working right. And um, there, there was this one point around 10 o'clock, I think, at night, I noticed just for a minute the site wasn't coming up, and I was like, "Oh no, what's what is this all about?" And um, but then it came back, and so you know, I I tried not to let it get to me, and and I tried to just keep moving forward. And um, there was just a couple of things left to do, and so it was all looking fine. And uh, midnight, everything went live, and it was looking good. Um, so I I go to bed, and um, next morning I wake up to a, a number of emails in my inbox, uh, folks saying that they were unable to see the site. And, um, of course that got my attention. So I go and I check it out and, uh, yep. Lo and behold, nothing there. So, um, and then my phone starts to blow up with some text messages from some friends and, uh, saying, Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but can't see the site. And of course I'm like, of course I, I do know that. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm starting to get a little bit stressed at this point, not knowing what is happening. And, um, I, uh, call up our web host, who is Bluehost, and um, was on the on the phone with them all morning. And anyway, we come to find out that um, the server that our site is on was uh, DDoSed. Uh, that's lingo that I, I learned this weekend. So um, please pardon the, the web techie stuff for the next 30 seconds. Okay, so DDoS is when uh, a malicious person, someone who's got time on their hands and, and the know-how, they um, decide to sync a server. And so they, they usually target the, the more prominent um, web hosts, you know, like GoDaddy.com or um, HostGator, Bluehost, that's who we use. And so um, our, si- our server was, was pinged, pinged. Um, I also learned what that means. That means basically these people just decide to overwhelm the server with, with all kinds of requests, you know, like all kinds of data going towards it. And um, what ends up happening is the server just says, that's too much. Uh, we don't want to get destroyed here, so we're just going to shut it all down and, and reject everything. 
and that's what they call a 500 server error. And um, so what that is, is you just go to the site and nothing shows up. It just times out. It's just, it tries forever and then, and then it's just a blank page. It says nothing's here. Um, yeah, so that's what was happening. And um, it took several hours to figure that out, but um, because it was just so brand new at the time when, when our site went live, this just started to happen. And these things usually take about 24 hours to kind of, um, you know, work themselves out. But um, anyway, and, 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 you know, some folks were like, so, so someone just doesn't like what you're doing. And, and you know, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they were actually targeting CMB. Um, if that is the case, then how cool would that be? You know, I, I would, that, would, that would make me very happy. Maybe we're doing something right. You know, someone, someone told me that. Someone encouraged me with that. But I don't think that's what it was, honestly, uh, because we, we, we do what's called shared hosting. Uh, and that's basically there are other websites on the same server that our site exists on. So um, it just was a fluke thing that, that, um, that happened. And, of course, well, it wasn't a fluke thing. I don't believe in fluke things. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And in his providence, he decided that on launch day, um, the, the server that our site is on was, was going was gonna to experience some technical difficulties. So uh, anyway, so thank you guys uh, for being patient um, during that time because I know it, it's not very fun, you know, to go to a site and it doesn't work out. When, when technology doesn't work, it's, it's never that, that fun. And uh, for me, it was, it was a good opportunity for, for me to just hold it loosely and just, just to trust God. And so I, I tried to just be about my business. I helped uh, someone move. We, have, we had someone in our church moving that day, so I went over to their house and just helped them move stuff and did that in the morning and um, while, while trying to work out some things over the phone here and there, you know. And, uh, and in, the, in the afternoon, I started to see it started to come back a little bit, and uh, it all worked out in the end. But anyway... I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for being patient. But let's let's not talk about that anymore. We want to just move on with this episode of the CMB podcast. Okay, so we have the $200 giveaway um, happening right now. So make sure if you are not um, a part of that yet, you go and put your name in the hat, so to speak. It is the big launch giveaway. It is a $200 gift certificate to sweetwater.com. And uh, over at Sweetwater.com, you can check out what they have. They have a lot of different stuff from musical instruments to um, software for your computer, recording gear, um, instrument stuff, you know, all kinds of, of neat toys for musicians. So um, if you uh, have been saving up for something in particular and you're just not quite there yet and $200 is the perfect amount to help you get there, then then go um, be a part of this giveaway. And basically the giveaway is, you know, it's called the Big Launch Giveaway uh, in an effort to just let the site get out there to promote the new site and to um, spread the word about what is happening at CMB. So don't forget that. Also, I want to invite you to introduce yourself at the new site. You can do this by going to christianmusicblog.com forward slash about you. And uh, by the way, if you do that, it actually increases your chances in the giveaway if you've entered that. So again, at that, at that, at that blog post, it's just a basic blog post that I wrote up, um, christianmusicblog.com forward slash about you and that's hyphenated um, you can introduce yourself tell us a little bit about your music a little bit about the song writing process whatever you'd like to say and uh, that's a great place to start if you're newer to the site also these links will be in our show notes for today which can be found by going to christianmusicblog.com slash session 16 and that is 
the uh, show notes for today's episode. All right. Well, on today's feature segment, as I mentioned in the beginning, we have Mark Altrogi. Mark is the senior pastor of Sovereign Grace Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania, where he's been for 30 years faithfully serving God's people there. Um, he's written numerous worship songs uh, that have been published and recorded, uh, Integrity Music, um, Glad, the band Glad. Matthew Ward from Second Chapter of Acts did one of his songs, but you would know his song, I Stand in Awe. You know, it starts out, you are beautiful beyond description. I'm not going to go into singing it, don't worry. <laughs> but um, that song just really just went all around the world, and um, many folks did that song. I, I remember growing up, uh, my dad was the worship leader in our church, and um, we, we did a handful of Mark's songs. His other song, Forever Grateful, such a great gospel-centered worship song. And, um, you know, when I was singing these songs as a young kid, I didn't realize how impactful songs like this would be in my life. Uh, just the, the rich, cross-centered uh, theology in these songs. Um, they're just very, very good. And so uh, Mark is a humble man. He really is awesome. He's really funny. Um, we enjoyed this conversation, and uh, I, I hope that it comes out for you as well and that you enjoy it. So uh, he has five kids. One of those, Stephen, um, is also musical, and they teamed up to record In a Little While. That's a a great album that they did together, a father and son release. And uh, we talked about that process and how that unfolded. And um, yeah, so I'm going to get right to this conversation. All the show notes, all the highlights, rather, will be in the show notes for today again. And I'll be on the other side of this conversation to provide some other links as well. So here's my conversation with Mark Altrogi on the 16th edition of the CMB Podcast. Great to be with you, Mark. Thank you so much for for being on the podcast with me today. Man, thank you, Nate. I'm honored to be. That's awesome, man. You have been um, such an example for so many worship leaders and leaders in general in the church over the years. And uh, you're musical. It's not very often that you find a, a lead pastor, a senior pastor, who is also a musical person, a songwriter who leads worship. So it's great to have you with us today. I want to start by Thanks. yeah, I want to start by asking you basically um, how you came to faith in Christ, and uh, maybe share for the list to the listeners the whole conversion experience and and how God got a hold of you. Okay, well, I was raised Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy. Went to Catholic grade school. I was the best altar boy I could possibly be. I I always made sure my hands were perfectly straight. I, I looked down on the other altar boys who folded their fingers like this. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I was even signed up in, at the end of eighth grade to go into the seminary, junior seminary in ninth grade in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my dad got transferred over the summer to Indiana, Pennsylvania. So moved up here, put the seminary on hold. They asked the local priest here if I should go to the seminary. My mom and dad asked him, and he said he thought it was a better idea for me to go through high school so that I could discover girls, which turned out to be a good idea. (laughs) So uh, I never did go to the seminary, uh, became 
uh, an art education major in college and uh, go back to go back a, a couple years before that in eighth grade. Um, 1964, February of 64, I think it was, I saw the Beatles make their debut on the Ed Sullivan show and, uh, all the girls screaming. And, uh, I, I just always had liked music because my dad was musical and, uh, he had connections with a guy who was a distributor at Capitol Records. So he always had all these free albums in the house Everything from French Christmas music to pirate song albums. And uh, so I liked music. And uh, when I saw the Beatles, I, I really I loved them, wanted to play guitar. So started playing guitar in high school, got into a rock band, various bands. Um, so then in college, I was in these bands and I was an art major. So I liked art. I liked music. I didn't really want to be an art teacher, but uh, got involved in various uh, relationships, got involved in various uh, things like uh, drugs, drinking. And so by the end of college, I wound up uh, in, a, in a serious relationship with uh, a young lady, only I was so selfish I was perpetually discontented, uh, very selfish, very self-centered. Um, I had stopped using drugs because my parents caught me and my brother. And uh, for some reason, they asked us to, to stop and stay home. They were going to kick us out. And uh, for some reason, I stopped. Uh, but I continued drinking, and I was a slave to alcohol getting drunk every night, every night at the bar, uh, wound up moving to Philadelphia. Before I moved to Philadelphia, somebody said something about getting a Bible. So I picked up a paperback Bible before I moved, wound up living in a crummy basement apartment in Philadelphia, working in a small art gallery thinking i moved to philadelphia thinking i would make it as an artist so i was uh working in an art gallery didn't have the discipline to really make it as an artist i i would paint for about an hour a day maybe and then drink the rest of the night and uh kill cockroaches in my apartment and uh and uh, i was pretty uh I got to the place where I was just very uh, unhappy in general and with my life. I was unhappy in this relationship. And the girl was a great girl. It was just me. It was so selfish. Um, and one night, uh, and, and she was an airline stewardess, and uh, one night she, uh, after leave, she had visited me over the weekend and called me from Pittsburgh and said, I met this guy on the plane. He was wearing a t-shirt with a picture of Jesus on it. And she was started talking to me about Jesus. And I, I said, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a, all right for you. That's good. I, I go to church. So I was Catholic. Um, and, uh, but she was excited about this guy, excited about Jesus. Meanwhile, I was becoming more and more guilt ridden. I knew that what I was doing was wrong, 
many of the things I was doing. I was becoming more and more guilt-ridden about my drunkenness. And then I started reading this New Testament, and I saw in the New Testament that drunkenness was a sin, and that was adding on to it. And so uh, one day in my apartment in Philadelphia, my cockroach-infested apartment, I just said, I said, God, if you change me, I'll do anything. I didn't know what else to say. And I immediately had the thought that God would make me be a missionary to Alaska because that was about the worst-sounding thing I could think of. <laughs> I don't like cold weather too much. And that's... Your ca- your, yeah, your Catholic thing was coming out. Yeah. So, uh, so it, it, yeah, I got to the point then uh, where uh, that I just said that prayer. Didn't feel anything. Nothing happened. No fireworks. Uh, at, in, in August of 73, I moved back home into my parents' house. Broke. No money. Um, slaved alcohol still. Still dating this girl. And uh, I wound up going to confession like every single, every single Saturday night. I was so guilt-ridden because you couldn't take communion with a mortal sin on your soul, according to Catholic doctrine, and uh, drunkenness would have been a mortal sin. So I would go to confession every week, and then... I was clear to take communion like on Saturday night and then I go out and get drunk again and I have to go to confession the next week. I got so guilt ridden. I was I would go to one priest one week and then I thought he's going to start recognizing my voice if I come every week. Go to another priest the second week and then on the third week I would drive to a town 20 minutes away, go to confession there and then repeat the cycle. Well, that just continued until one week this girl saw in the paper that there was going to be a visiting speaker at this little retreat center nearby, and she said, that's the guy on the plane. That's the guy with the Jesus shirt. We've got to go see this guy. And it actually was a guy named Larry Tomzak, who uh, many people know, is just well-known evangelist. And uh, so she takes me out to this little country retreat center, and this guy greets me with a, praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> when I come in the door, and I think, oh, boy. Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah praise, praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> we go in, and they're singing songs like, this is the day, you know. Uh, and I was like, I was thinking, oh, man, I don't know if I can take this, you know, because I liked bands like, you know, Yes and, you know, prog rock bands and obviously, you know, the Beatles. And I was I was I was used to to pretty sophisticated music compared to, to this is the day singing that 20 times over and over. And But anyway, this guy, Larry Tomzak, he was like nobody else I'd ever heard. Jesus was real to him. And at the end of the meeting, my girlfriend asks me if I'd like to meet him. So she takes me up, and my parents were there. They had been going to Catholic charismatic prayer meetings, and uh, so God was working in their lives. And this guy, Larry, when I get up there, says, you ever ask the Lord into your heart? And I said, well, I think so. I go to Mass. And he said, no, no, personally, you. And so I prayed right there. He led me in this prayer, and I asked Jesus into my heart. And I I really did want to change, but 
I didn't know anything beyond that I had prayed this prayer. And, and I can remember that night going out by myself and looking up at the moon and I was thinking, I think something, I think I did something here, but I don't know, didn't know what. I, I no fireworks went off. It wasn't like that, but a year went by and I continued in my lifestyle because Larry at the time was just getting started in his ministry and I don't think he really knew uh, about proclaiming repentance or lordship. Later on he did. And, uh, you know, I remember standing up at another Jesus festival when he preached, if you want to follow Jesus as Lord, I, I remember doing that years later. But anyway, uh, about a year later in 74, I was still, I was still miserable. Now I was doubly miserable because I was going to a prayer meeting every week and then going out getting drunk. And, uh, that's just the worst way to live. And uh, I went to a Bible study. A friend invited me to a Bible study, and uh, a guest speaker that night who had never been there before spoke about how Jacob, uh, his son uh, Esau, uh, sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, and then he could find no repentance in his father. He couldn't make his father change his mind, even though he sought it with tears. And this speaker said, if you continue willfully in sin, you can get to your point in your life where you can't repent. You cross a line and you won't be able to repent. And boy, that scared me. And for some reason, God used that. And that night I said, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm turning to you 100% wholeheartedly, completely. And uh, so that was that was I, the night I look back to September of seventy four, where God. I think that may be the night I was born again. I don't know. God was working in my life for a year or so, but uh, after that night, uh, I told this guy in the band. I said, "You got to stop booking gigs in this one place because it was really bad." And he booked another gig, and I, I. I knew that I was going to have to quit the band if I was going to follow Jesus. And I called him up and I quit the band. He said, what? I said, why? I said, what? I told you not to book any more jobs at this place. And he, he said, who? Why are you doing this? And I couldn't think of anything else to say except Jesus has told me to. <laughs> Which... I know it sounded crazy, you know, and he said, do you want me to come over there and string you up? And I said, well, no, but, you know, do whatever you have to do. I said, I, I can't do it. I got to follow Jesus or something like that. So then it kind of went around town. People started saying I'd, I'd gotten religion. I became a Jesus freak. And but, so that was the start of it. Quite a story. So from there, I... Uh, you don't have to go into the whole thing, but you ended up later. You you wrote songs for the church, um, so your your whole musicianship was redeemed. It was was uh, taken over by God. And um, can you share with us how that started? Yeah, yeah. I can remember when I quit the band. I thought that's the end of all my friendships. No more music, probably. But I kept I kept writing songs. I started going to Jesus festivals and seeing guys like Keith Green and and uh, lots of the early Jesus 
musicians and uh i i thought well i'll try to i'll write songs like that so i was writing christian songs that were more performance oriented esoteric you wouldn't necessarily know they were christian by listening to them but uh, i was i was doing that and i, I was playing around at, at, at different I, i'd go to local coffee houses and and uh do that kind of stuff and and uh I got involved in this Bible study, and I was wound up being the default worship leader because uh, I don't know if they had another guitarist or not, but somehow I, I wound up leading this Bible study. And one day I'm sitting at home. I'd gotten married in 1980. I was sitting home, and I, I this God didn't speak in an audible voice, but I had the thought come to me, um, do you want to serve me? And thought, yeah, I want to serve God. And and then the thought came, well, then write worship songs. And I thought, ah, nothing to it, piece of cake, you know, because I was thinking of like, this is the day, <laughs> simple, simple choruses. And so I wrote this song called At the Mention of Your Name, which, it, which actually had a couple verses in a chorus, I think. Um and I tried to, I thought, I, I want to try to write some worship songs that have a little more to them than what I'd been singing. So that I wrote that, and I uh, introduced it at the Bible study, and people seemed to like it, and that's how I got started. Cool. That's awesome. So you're at Sovereign Grace Church, Indiana, Pennsylvania right now. Can you Can you speak to that a little bit, how that started to unfold, and then... Uh, you began sure. to write music for um, Hosanna Integrity, or was it Sovereign Grace music then, or how did that work out? Yeah, well, first I started writing for this Bible study, and and it eventually became our church, and uh, so I would be writing songs for our church, and then um, we, over the years, through a variety of things that happened, we wound up meeting uh, C.J. Mahaney and, and Larry Tomczak, and they were, they were working together at the time. In, uh, and uh, the first pastor of our church was actually Brent Detweiler, and Brent uh, trained me and talked me into leaving my teaching job and becoming a pastor. I don't know what I was thinking, but I <laughs> came on staff. <laughs> Came on staff in September of 1980, and, and uh, Brent was training me and teaching me. And we were having CJ and Larry Tomczak come to Indiana and doing outreaches. And uh, eventually we said to those guys, look, we need help. And we, we see you guys are writing some articles about uh, extra local ministry helping local pastors. And and so Brent and I said, we'd love to kind of become a part of your ministry or under your ministry. And and they prayed about it. And uh, so then they started uh, to, to connect with other guys. And I can remember then meeting pastors from other places and uh, in the beginning, there were maybe like half a dozen churches that eventually became Sovereign Grace Ministries. And so I just started sending out uh, a cassette every once in a while with three or four songs on it to the, the pastors or the worship leaders in those churches and just said, uh, and I'd send a chord lyric sheet. 
and I would say if you, if any of these songs, if you can use them in worship, feel free, go ahead. And so that's kind of how this my song sort of started getting used in what eventually became Sovereign Grace. Hmm. And then uh, I met Bob Coughlin, who heads up Sovereign Grace Music, and that was at a conference that it was called Celebration. That what you know what the Sovereign Grace Ministries back then I think it was called People of Destiny, but they would have this uh, conference and they would invite all the churches to, and it actually met at the university in my town, Indiana, Pennsylvania. And so one day. I'm standing in line to pick up my children after a session, and there's this big tall guy in front of me, and I recognized him as this guy I'd heard about, Bob Coughlin. And he had written this really cool song I really liked uh, called Praise Be to You, O Lord. And so I just said, hey, uh, Bob, my name's Mark Altrogi. Introduce myself. And I think the first thing he said to me, I, I never, I never let him live this down. I still heap guilt upon him for this. <laughs> but the very first thing he said to me is, oh, great to meet you. Oh, man, that song you wrote, Mighty God. Oh, I like that song. But you know what? I think it'd be a little better if you if you change this maybe in the verse or maybe change this in the chorus. And he started to immediately give me some uh, feedback on how to improve my song. And little did I know that that would, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, prophetic of things to come <laughs> because, because for many many years uh bob coughlin and uh, steve cook would would uh, we would send our songs to each other and they would give me feedback and critique it in, in very helpful ways and, and help me grow as a songwriter over the years but it's awesome um, so then bob then bob coughlin and, and sort of put together this first album for PDI called The Nations Are Waiting, and that, that's kind of how it got started. They included a couple of my songs on that album. And after that, I think uh, Sovereign Grace um, connected with Integrity Music, um, and they picked up a couple of my songs. And Cool. Would that be I Stand in Awe and some of those more well-known songs that folks would know? Forever Grateful yeah. and... Yeah, yeah. They, they. I think, I think those two songs might have been on the first album, "The Nations Are Waiting," and and they picked up a couple. And yeah, it's really cool to see as well how just over the years, Sovereign Grace music and and how it's grown and developed, and uh, been very blessed by so many of those albums that have come out in the last, you know, five to ten years, I guess, um, including uh, the one that you did with Stephen, your son, in a little while. Why don't you share with us a little bit about? that process and uh and how the two of you write together i mean i know that uh your son is also musical and uh and it's so cool that you guys did a an album together father and son what a neat um oh. neat thing yeah actually we didn't do a lot of writing together the songs on that album were individually written but um yeah it's just incredibly blessed that sovereign grace asked us to do that album it was uh, actually, it was a guy named Pat Ennis. I believe it was his idea that he proposed the idea to Sovereign Grace and uh, incredibly grateful that they would do it. Um, 
Yeah, the, the album started off, uh, I had been writing songs with an album on suffering in mind because uh, Bob Coughlin generally, uh, I think along with uh, a friend of mine named Bo Latinsky, um, would often come up, Bo was the executive director, I think the executive music producer at the time for Sovereign Grace, and uh, they would come up with themes for the album. They had come up with a theme for an album on suffering, which I they, they did later. So I had been writing a number of songs with that theme in mind. So um, that's why I wrote the song uh, In a Little While and the song uh, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. I didn't write those lyrics. That's from an old hymn. Um, and so, um, yeah, so, so we just started to, to work on, on those, on that album. And, uh, it's kind of funny. The album, I think right before it was called Valley of Vision and Bob Coughlin, Bob Coughlin, I believe had this idea for an album based on the Puritan devotional book, Valley of Vision. And, uh, the producer of that album, who also produced Stephen and my album, Sal Oliveri, is just a great guy. During the album uh, production of uh, Valley of Vision, one of my songs, Sal said, well, Mark's going to sing that song, isn't he? And this, this is one of my favorite memories. And everybody started laughing because I don't have a great voice. But uh, over the years, Bob Coughlin and Steve Cook have mercilessly tortured me about my voice because <laughs> it's not that great. But I, I say it's a good rocker voice. But um, so when Sal suggested that I sing this one song, they just started laughing and howling. And Sal said, no, I'm serious. I think Mark should do it. And and. Uh, they tried out about three or four other people on the song, and for some reason it just didn't fit the other singers. And, and so one day Sal says to Bob Coughlin, you're going to hate me when I say this. I still think you ought to let Mark do it. And they let me do it. And uh, I think that kind of paved the way for Steve and I to do our album. Oh, that's on um, Valley of Vision. You're talking about. Yeah, I, I sang, I think, one song on Valley of Vision, maybe two, but... Uh, oh, cool. I think... I yeah, love that so, album. Which one, which, one did, which one did you sing on? I would have I never, that, you know, I listened to that thing so many times and I never thought once, who's this guy singing this song? Like, nothing ever jumped out or stuck out to me. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I think I sang I Come Running to You. That's you? I, I think that so. song, man. Thanks. And he wrote that I, song, right? Yeah, it's either that one or uh, uh, Heavenly Father, Beautiful Son. I think I think it's I Come Running, I sang on. I mean, both those two songs are great. I would have never imagined. Well, I, I like your voice, Mark. Let me just say that. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Bob Coughlin hears this. <laughs> no, I know, I, you know, I don't have a great voice, but it... it did okay for those songs. So it's either either uh, you have a great voice or Sal is just an incredible producer. Sal is an incredible <laughs> producer. He is. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Man, I'm going to go back and listen to that after we finish this interview. Um, 
Fantastic. Why don't you share with us um, your process of songwriting? I know that a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are songwriters themselves, and one of the things that we've been talking about a lot lately is um, the process of writing and how you know it varies across the board. Everyone has a different system. Everyone has a different way of structuring the way they plan their time and and I thought it'd be great for you to just share your process. I know a lot of folks would be blessed to hear that. Okay. Um, it can start in different ways, but usually I like to have some kind of a nugget of an idea for what the song's going to be about. And very often, a lot, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times I like, if, if I can, to find a strong uh, title not that all my titles are that strong, but um, for example, and I, I think I learned this from Steve Cook, I, although I have read in many songwriting books that if you can come up with a great title, that does a lot to help you write the song. Mm. And very often the title is the first line of the chorus or the first line in the last line of the chorus. Not always, but... Steve Cook, one time I was on a plane with him and he had a notebook and he was filling up a page just writing titles down. Wow. So sometimes I'll do that. One example would be uh, we were working on an album based on the Psalms. And um, so I turned to the Psalm that starts off, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I forget which one it is. And uh, so I initially started writing out some lyrics at random, just great is the Lord, sort of from that psalm. But I was thinking, you know what? Great is the Lord. Chris Tomlin wrote a song called Great is the Lord. It's a fantastic song. And I don't want to call it that. So I started to just write a whole page of titles. And uh, after about 15 or 20 titles, all about how great God is. I wrote greater than we can imagine. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, no, that's a good title. And so I wound up writing a song called Greater Than We Can Imagine. Good song. Yeah. And, I love it. Oh, thanks. So, so that, when I had that, then I started on the chorus. And sometimes I, sometimes I'll try to work on the chorus first, not always, because the chorus is usually the peak of the song. And, and if you write a really powerful verse, and then you have to write an even more powerful, powerful chorus, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes I start with a verse, but um, so a lot of times I'll start with, with the chorus. And also the chorus needs to be more simple than the rest of the song. And very often in the chorus, I like to repeat the, the main phrase. Like, and I stand in awe, I repeat that phrase, I stand in awe. Very often, very often songwriters make a mistake, I think, in making the chorus too complicated and nothing repeats. Um, but at least you want to have a real, some musical hook and a lyrical hook in the chorus that's real strong, that hopefully people could remember at least that phrase, you know, after singing it just a couple times, you know, I, I think, you know, is this memorable? Is somebody going to, if somebody heard this, if we sang this and then they walked out the front door, could they maybe be singing a little part of the chorus 
over and over. Then with the the verse, um, the usually I'm thinking in some kind of a format like uh, a rhyme scheme or uh, a syllable scheme. So I try to match them closely. So a lot of times, a lot of times uh, I've seen songwriters have too many different changes happening in the verse and it's just too complicated. So I think in terms of like, Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. So lines one and lines three match pretty much syllable for syllable. Lines two and lines four. And then maybe a simple lead into a chorus. But somebody told me once, they say in Nashville, don't bore us, get to the chorus. (laughs) And, And so... You, you know, you don't want the you don't want like a a real complex lead in, and so I think of a kind of a simple verse. I think in terms of maybe rhyming the second line and the fourth line, or I, you don't have to rhyme, obviously, but I, I think if you can rhyme, it can get s- stronger. Um, I tend to think a lot of times the way I think is a verse is something about God that I'm meditating on and the chorus is my response to that. And so, so like with, uh, I stand in awe, the verse is all about God attributes of God, God's beauty, God's wisdom, God's love, God's mercy. And the response to that in the chorus is I, I stand in awe of that. Now, it doesn't you don't have to do it in terms of meditation and response, but a lot of times it helps me to think like that. Mm-hmm. Gives you a framework. Yeah. You can write yeah. With, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I've seen songs, and I've probably done songs where you have information in the verse that you'd want to respond to, but then instead of a response, there's just more information about God in the chorus. And so I, I try to think worship is Bob Coughlin's definition is something along the lines of worship is a is a response to what God has revealed about himself in ways that he has told us to respond in the Bible. So worship is a response to God's revelation of himself. So that's what got me thinking about the verses Lots of times, what does the Bible reveal to us about God? And then what would be my response? And so that's one of the ways I think about it. That's excellent. Well, um, to wrap up our time today, I just thought we could talk a little bit about artists in the local church and the place and the role of the local church in the life of creative people. Um, Philip Ryken recently on the, on the Gospel Coalition blog wrote an article, How to Discourage Artists in the Church, and it's basically a, a blog post on um, how local churches ought to make room for Christians who are called to be artists. And he's painting with, uh, I'm going to use a figurative statement about art, for art, painting with a broad brush, but um, anyway, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about how artists need the local church. So yes, local churches need artists, but why is it important for, in our case, singers, songwriters, musical folks? Why is it important for them to be engaged in uh, 
the, in the local church? Well, I would say it's important for every believer to be engaged in the local church, whether you're an artist or a mechanic or, or whatever you do, uh, because we need to hear the Word of God preached. We need pastors in our lives caring for us, uh, leading us, preaching teaching. We need fellowship with other believers. We need other believers who we can uh, carry out the biblical one another's with, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. You know, everybody needs that. Uh, we need, I need, uh, every, everybody needs to benefit from others' gifts spiritual gifts and 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 uh we need uh to worship god together uh and so you know everybody needs to be involved in a church um and so i would say you know musicians artists uh, there can be challenges uh just like there could be a challenge with a guy who's a salesman if he has to be out of town a lot. I guess if a musician is traveling a lot, I would just say whatever you can do to be involved in a local church, do it. Because I remember once um, I met somebody in a band and they traveled all over and I, I talked to them about what church are you a part of? And they said, well, our band is the church. And I just thought, uh, <laughs> you're, you're going to miss out, you know, on so much. So I would say, yes, artists, you know, first of all, you need to be involved in the local church. Yes, uh, that's just been, for me, such an important part of this whole discussion. You know, what we're doing with Christian Music Blog is um, talking about music making through eyes of faith. We're, we're kind of drawing from Harold Best's book you know, music through the eyes of faith. Yeah. And uh, I just really have seen in my own life over the years how I have too much separated my life in the local church from my life as an, as a creative person. And so, and yeah, I, I just am seeing more and more just how important it is to be, and not even like for some utilitarian reason, you know, just because we want the church to sing our songs or we want to be, getting our art on the walls, oh, you know, yeah. um, I mean, there are benefits all around for sure, but it's just more for our own souls, you know, because yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you again, Mark, for being with us on the podcast. It's just been so rich and you're a blessing brother. Oh, thanks Nate. Well, it's an honor for me. Thank you for asking me. If uh, folks want to find out more about who you are, where would you direct them online? They could go to uh, theblazingcenter.com, which is a blog that my son Stephen and I do. Mm -hmm. um, and you're on Twitter, I believe? Yep. I'm on Twitter. You are at Mark Altrogi, is that right? Yes. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm afraid most people, you know, when they, when they watch or if like they haven't ever heard you before or don't know who you are, they may not know about your refreshing, uh, sense of humor. <laughs> and, uh, I'm almost tempted well, to ask you if you can share a joke or something, but, um, well, I don't, I don't tell jokes well, Nate. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's mainly, mainly, uh, when I have an opportunity to mock somebody or, 
Well, I could tell just in, in uh, your as we were talking about Twitter and Facebook, you were just so tempted to uh, to say something. I could just tell. Well, I, I will say this: that I accept all friends um, on on Facebook and Twitter. I don't. I've never turned anybody away. <laughs> I'm that desperate. I need. I need all the friends I can get. And I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to make friend re- requests because I'm afraid I'll be rejected. Oh, so you just let them flood into you? That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. It's not. You know, I think I'm great. It's like I'm <laughs> such a slave of the fear of man. That's that's it. <laughs> what if I request to be their friend and they reject me? Well, I will include a link in the uh, <laughs> podcast notes of this interview to your Facebook okay. and your Twitter, so so folks can come flooding your way. So <laughs> <laughs> great. No, man, this has been really, really awesome. Thank you so much again for your time, Mark. God Mark, bless you, man. God bless you, Nate. Thanks. Well, that was a, a, a wonderful conversation. I, I, I was so encouraged to, to be able to talk with him. Thank you, Mark, for your time. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to let you know again the, uh, the link for the show notes for today, christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 16. I've, I've gone through and highlighted uh, different points from the conversation and uh, just wanted to bring up a couple of more things just to highlight uh, a couple of things. Uh, practically songwriting. I think that he was just really providing great wisdom with regard to uh, repetition in the chorus and just how important it is to to really land on a hook of some kind. And um, and then in the verses, just keeping things simple and um, the syllables and just ma- matching things up. You know, it's almost a a science. There's almost a science to it, and it's 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 really fun to do that. You know, it's um, it's cool. So. Um, and, and keep in mind, too, we were talking specifically about writing songs for corporate worship. And so certainly there there probably is a place for, you know, if you have a private um, worship time and you and you come up with a song that you write just from from your heart to the Lord and it's an expressive thing and um, and you just want to keep it to yourself, and maybe share it with some people in your family. That's totally fine. We're not saying that, you know, songwriting has to do um everything a certain way and you have to follow a, a set thing of rules here. But um, if you are serving people, um, if you're serving God's people in the local church, then you certainly uh, need to think of some other things, you know, and take these things into consideration. So I thought that was really helpful, um, especially too, just the whole thing of information in the verses and uh, in the choruses, uh, letting there be just an opportunity to respond to um, the information that you've sung about in the verses. That's that's great for worship songs, uh, because as he said, worship is a response to God's revelation of Himself. And um, and then secondly, one highlight just again the local church. Um, in episode number twelve of the podcast, I spoke with Daniel Renstrom, um, who is a, who is a worship pastor, and um, and I, I think that he had a great point in that conversation just about how it's important for artists creative people to get around other folks who aren't like themselves. And, um, you know, we, we do at christianmusicblog.com gather around the affinity of um, music and music making, and that's totally good and fine and appropriate in many contexts. But the local church, 
uh, we gather around our our faith in Christ. And so that's what's so awesome about the church is it's it's actually an an evidence of the miracle of how people who are very different from each other come together to um, respond to the grace of God in their lives. And so I think that he was right on in saying that, obviously, it's not just for artists. Everyone needs to be a part of the local church because we need each other. Um, we need to be under God's word. We need the pastoral guidance of uh, the leaders uh, of the church. Um, we need fellowship with believers. I think that that's absolutely important. And you know, last week's episode with Robbie C., I think that he really nailed it as well, um, you know, in terms of viewing um music more as a filter to kind of pour your life through um, instead of always having music at the top and just trying to, to, you know, your identity is in your songwriting and your identity is in your music making. And, um, you know, David, as he said in that episode, King David was very busy. He had a lot of other things going on. He wasn't always thinking about writing songs. But when he was thinking about writing songs, he had a lot to write about. And uh, I think if you're involved in the life of, of a local church, then you're going to be in the lives of other people, and um, it's going to give you plenty of things to write about, and uh, and it's a great way to serve your congregation, wh- whoever God has placed in your life. Your your gifts are for others, and uh, I mentioned that blog post over at the Gospel Coalition. That's um, how to discourage artists in the church. Uh, Philip Ryken wrote that, and um, it's an insightful article as well. And it would be more about artists. Um, churches, uh, including artists in the church. And so I think um, there's a balance there. You know, I think you, you could wrongly read this blog post uh, by Philip uh, and, and interpret it meaning, oh gosh, I, I need to get to a church so I can just, you know, so they can accept me and I can do uh, my art. You don't want to look at the local church as a way for you to express your gifts in a way that serves yourself. And, um, and, and I know that that's not the point that he's making in the blog post, but there really is something about um, plugging into a local church and and being available to use your gifts to serve the local church. So also, um, <laughs> speaking of art, uh, we didn't talk about this much. He did share in the beginning of our conversation that he was um, an art major and uh, he was an art teacher. But um, I, afterwards, I ended up going and looking up some some stuff on Mark just to keep reading up and doing some more research. Uh, he is an incredible painter. So you got to go check out uh, his paintings. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes that you'll, you'll find there to his paintings. He has a handful of paintings that are on sale and they're really, really good. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm almost a little nervous wondering if this is the right Mark Altrogi. Um, so if, Mark, if this is not the right Mark, if this isn't you, then please let me know and uh, I'll correct myself here. But I'm pretty sure it's you uh, and very well done on your on your paintings. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll leave that link in in, in the show notes. Also, uh, you know he he didn't he didn't go into all these links because he's a very humble guy. He didn't want to promote himself too much here. But forevergratefulmusic.com is where you can find uh, some other music of his, uh, particularly scripture memorization music. Um, there's there's an album, I believe, it's Hide the Word, and there are a number of, of different uh, volumes of this, but it's basically scripture memorization, uh, scripture memory songs, and uh, really, really awesome to get God's Word in you, and, and music is a great way to do that, isn't it? So forevergratefulmusic.com, check that out, I'll, I'll leave the link 
in the notes as well. And, um, of course, their blog, theblazingcenter.com. Uh, I'll leave a link to a recent blog post that Mark wrote. Um, it's entitled Communion with God. It's not a chore. It's sweet. And uh, very, very good, uh, insightful blog post on on just time with God and, and devotional life. And and you can just see that, that that is the number one thing in his life. And um, and he is, to me, a, a great example of an artist. He's very talented. He's a great songwriter. He's a, he's a very, very good painter. And um, he loves more than any of that. He loves uh, the Lord, and he loves God's people. And um, so that evidence of grace is definitely clear in his life. So thank you, Mark. Well, that's it for this episode. I want to remind you of the big launch giveaway that we'll be doing through July 15th. It's your chance to win $200 to Sweetwater.com. Head over to the site, ChristianMusicBlog.com, and look for the link at the top of the page that says Big Launch Giveaway. And there you'll find all the details to enter into that drawing. And of course, as usual, if you've listened up to this point, I want to give you a gift for listening, especially if you're new. Check out freemusicgift.com for a couple of gifts that will serve you in your music making. And also you'll see the opportunity to sign up for our email list there. That's at freemusicgift.com. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Christian Music Blog Podcast. Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.